you're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. All the tools allow you to secure the data to the extent that you can completely hang yourself. And if it's not done right, it becomes a source of what people perceive as data inaccuracies. Welcome, everyone. This is the third part of a multi-part interview with Mike Mashindaro, a veteran BI practitioner who recently retired from Dow Chemical, where he served as director of BI for nearly 20 years. Our first two episodes focused on how to create and establish BI programs and BI teams, and how to partner with the business and ensure high levels of customer satisfaction and adoption. This episode focuses on how to create outstanding reports that users will love and use. Welcome again to the show, Mike. Thanks, Wayne. Glad to be with you again. Well, let's dive right in. Um, you've had a lot of experience building standard enterprise reports for Dow Chemical. What would you say are the keys to creating a great report that users will use on a consistent basis? Um, Wayne, as I put the program together, you know, being involved with this for a long time, I was I, I would uh, collect all the the key concepts here that that um, help you lead to success. And if when you hear these things, I have eight of them that I carry around all the time and tell people that we're designing our program on and uh, really live them, um, live those eight key concepts as we go through it. And, you know, it's part of that is, is what's in the reports themselves, but it's really what you have to deliver across the whole area. So uh, just roughly, and I'll, I'll go through an overview of these, uh, the first one is ease of use. So your reporting has to be uh, very easy, easy to use, it has to be intuitive, and it has to be you know, catchy when people come in. UI, uh, user interface, and, and user experience is important there. Um, the second one is drill down, right? So ease of use is one, but you have to be able to see something, and when you have insight, you have to be able to drill into that insight and get it down to the action. So that's the second key point. Um, third point is monitor. So once you take action, right, if somebody gets there and they drill down, they get their insight, and they take some action, the question that all, always comes up later is, were, were those actions sufficient or not? And you have to be able to, so everybody gets in a room, right, and, and takes action. Then next month, maybe they're getting together next week, and people are saying, hey, was that was that was, were those actions good or not, or it, did some conditions change that that we have to change our actions? So that's really important, and we have to facilitate that process. Now, um, there's uh, in in the remaining five, they get into some things that 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 I think uh, if you've been involved with the BI industry for a long time, you're very familiar with, right? Accuracy of is the the next point. Um, and there's a lot to accuracy. Um, you know, we it's really we're really responsible for taking something from source systems and making sure that when we do our ETL processes on that, we're not, um, you know, we we didn't drop the ball somewhere. We didn't make it so that there's some inaccuracy in that. Um, but there's a lot more to accuracy than just did we do the ETL correctly. Um, and um, so that that's a big point. That that we'd like uh, we like to have in there, you know, that we have to be giving the right information. Some of that, interestingly, enough, comes from human behavior. You know, sometimes it's just perception of accuracy. People accept good news better than bad, for example, and 
and uh, you have to be prepared for that. The next point is relevancy. Um, you know, I've heard this from many users um, that, and, and you know, users have a different level of relevancy for every one of them. An analyst wants a lot of detail, and that's what's relevant to them. A leader wants uh, higher level information, and that's what's relevant to them. Or it's just their business, or just their uh, geographic area. Relevancy is important, so when you're building reports, you have to be able to set context for users so that um, it becomes relevant uh, uh, and timely for them right away, which, by the way, is my next point, timeliness. So timeliness is all about the latency between when the events are happening or even predictive um, uh, information that you're getting from advanced analytics. And you have to be able to be delivering that to users on a timely basis. You know, we hear about real time, and uh, that's good, and we're heading more towards that. Uh, but timeliness is very important, especially in the beginning when you're seeing events and what is the impact of those events, and also after, you, after you've taken the actions, did those actions work? So that timeliness is very important. Um, last two ones are responsiveness and security. So responsiveness gets at your technical uh, architecture and how well it's delivering, you know, when somebody does a click, how long does it take the system to respond? You know, we, we, we take a lot of heat in the industry when our architecture, our infrastructure doesn't respond quickly. And that's, this is a tough thing, right, when we're doing stuff. When people asking, you know, really tough questions, querying millions and millions of rows of data, it's got to be responsive. In, in my world, five seconds or less, right? So you click, a click response has to happen in five seconds all the time, and I realize that's very difficult. Uh, we set metrics around that. We say, you know, 95 plus percent of all clicks need to respond in that, in uh, you know, less than five seconds. Um, it's it's a tough thing to do, but that's a key uh, component of reports. And finally, as I mentioned before, security. You know, you do all this kind of stuff to get data out and in people's hands, and then you want to go lock it up because it gets real. It's really important, and the security side will uh, come back to bite you because if you've done all those other things right and now you're not secure, people will clam up and say, we can't have that stuff out there now because it's too important, right? And, and that's what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to be, make your data real important and real valuable for people to use. But once it's real valuable, then people want to really make sure that their stuff is secure. So they're, they're my uh, eight key uh, concepts there, Wayne. Oh, great. Eight principles to live by. Let, let's uh, let's drill down into each of these uh, to get a little bit more detail uh, that I think you, our audience will appreciate. So if we start at the top with ease of use, uh, how simple should these dashboards be? And there's always a trade-off between simplicity and complexity. Uh, but do you strive for making the dashboard so easy to use that you don't have to train people how to use them? Yeah, um, that, that's a good one. I, I think it's, it's tough because when you're trying to get dashboards in the hands of a different kind of user base to make something at the same time uh, relevant to them and then, then hit, hitting the right level of ease of use. Um, but the point about training is a good one. I mean, you know, the world is, is um, getting very familiar with 
uh, you know, online tools that you go at that people can figure out, right? You go to Amazon and you have an experience there and you can figure it out. You don't have to go to a training course to be able to go through and, and, and figure out what you need to do. So you have to be that intuitive. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of pieces to this. This is actually this ease of use ends up being a science in your organization. You, you should have a practice that goes out and, and understands what ease of use is all about. It's not just simplicity. It's screen design. It's placement of important information. It's testing um, those elements to see if, you know, like you get a, you put something in front of a new user and, and, uh, and get them and ask them questions and see if they can find it just by looking at the screen. Um, real sophisticated websites are doing this kind of activity uh, to be able to get their message out. So ease of use gets at all those kinds of things. I, I believe that if, if something needs a lot of training, you're never going to catch up to, to the demand. Um, we have training, though. Um, you know, we, we don't, you know, so training goes from something fairly detailed to, to like, uh, light communication or help, t uh, you know, help tips that are actually built into the tool. And we're starting to do more of that kind of stuff. Hover text is the simplest case of that, but have some overlays. Ultimately, though, all those things you do in terms of training courses and overlays are not sufficient because, those things get out of date very quickly. They're hard to keep up. People, and if you look at the utilization of those kinds of things, people don't really look at help documents much. They expect to be able to figure stuff out on the screen. And, and there is a trade-off that always happens there, Wayne, so I'm glad you bring that up. But we, we took ease of use, and we call it the UI UX experience. So it's user interface, user experience. And again, that's a science. You could go Google about some of the people who have done some things out there, but we actually had a practice going with people who went out and got trained on UI experience, and we had some outside help to help uh, analyze our tools, and we were marching down that path on ease of use. Did, did you have usability labs where you actually watched users using the software before you deploy it? Yeah, it, when you're, it, that sounds really formal when you say it's a lab. We ab we absolutely have had you know had um, a scientific approach towards getting users, and we would pick them from our user base and get a, a wide range of them. People who were very familiar users, and then get users who were not familiar at all with your stuff. Right, and then uh, and then go through a scientific process. We didn't have like I would say a formal lab, but we did have a formal process of taking new designs and getting people together and and having usability testing. And it's um, you know we're we're delivering a lot of new information all the time, so it's a little it's difficult to keep up with all that that new stuff you're putting out there. But we we uh, we're embedding that as part of our process. Hey, do you? Uh show a different design or view of a report to someone who's new uh, versus someone who's a veteran? The assumption here is that someone who's new is easily overwhelmed with too much data, too much functionality, whereas someone who's been around expects more data, more detail, more functionality. Is that something that came into your design paradigm? We've uh, played around with that concept a lot to have um, 
have reports that that people could that the default view would be something simple, and then you can sort of crack it open and make the default views more complex. Um, well, I should say more, you know, detailed, right? Than complex. Um, we we were constantly tweaking that kind of a thing. And the, so, where is your starting point, right? What is your starting point? Um, and then try to get your your tools uh, so that. Um, as people create their context, the system would remember where you got to. So, um, you know, if I if I uh, w was only worried about one geographic location or one country or one business segment, the system would uh, remember that. Starting points are difficult, though, because if you just have one default starting point, um, then uh, this one size fits all. You know, it never really hits the mark. So then you try to break it down versus the personas of the user base that, that you've got out there and, and try to, to target the various kinds of personas up front. So somebody new comes in, you could say, oh, you're a, you know, a user like this. Here's how that gets set up for them. Um, constantly tweaking with that, Wayne. Right. So this kind of gets to the whole concept uh, that you mentioned of relevancy, right? How do you tailor a report to an individual persona or role? Uh, other than what you've just said, is there any other tips you can provide there for doing that, or is it completely tool-based? You know, from a from a user when I when I uh, talk about use of ease of use by itself, it's all about paying attention to the kind of things that are really not a, a about uh, the data itself. It's about how you're presenting the data together to make people see things very quickly, and you know. It, you know, they, there's a whole sort of subset of that. Um, like, for example, I'll give you one example. If, if you tell somebody where things are uh, and they go and click through it, when they come back a week later, can they find it again? Or do they struggle to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know I could do this before, but I can't figure it out the second time. That repeatability is an attribute of scoring your system. On, a use, on the ease of use perspective. And there's an, a number of those kinds of things, finding things the first time, right, being able to repeat and, and all that kind of stuff. Like I said, that's an artwork toward it. But this thing around relevancy is another piece of it. And, you know, I broke these things down into eight key concepts. These things certainly overlap quite a bit. So this relevancy, you know, we're always trying to, to make it relevant so that it's easier for people to use, obviously. But sometimes um, relevancy gets into, um, you know, specific problem analysis as well, right? I'm in here looking for something that is around inventory management or the impact of a certain event out there. How do I get my reports very relevant? And some of that sometimes you pair up analysts with your tools in storytelling as we um, uh, which is another whole concept that's outside of the scope of these con of these eight um, key concepts. Let me go through uh, some of these other eight principles. So you'd mentioned drilling. Uh, how many levels should someone be able to drill, and and how what's the best way to drill? You know, right clicking or some other method. It, it you know with, when you have multiple d devices you you get you know when you're when you're dealing with laptops and and touch pads it's a little difficult because um, you know there you know there's uh, it's you know the the gestures are a little bit different on each one of them but 
to get back to the drillability, the idea behind drillability is going as far as it's necessary to allow the initial user to, to not only recognize where there's a problem, that's the first piece, I recognize where there's an issue of interest, and now I want to drill to be able to go, oh, now I understand where, you know, where or who the action um, has to uh, come from. So if I'm a, a leader, right, I'm looking at it, and I got a lousy sales number, and it's at the top line. Well, there's a, you know, a whole staff of people that he would have that might be geographically located or business segment located. So he, he or she would want to be drilling down into that segment level. Um, so, the, you know, you got to have that level of drill billage so that you can see, oh, that's, you know, you know, um, you know Jim down over here. I'm going to talk to them or maybe, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, so drillability um, has to be on, on the screen. There's got to be easy ways to do that. Some of them are right mouse clicks. Some of them are hovers, perhaps. Um, Sometimes, you know, click and thing uh, refreshes at another level of detail. Um, Lots of tools handle this very well these days. The problem that you get is if you, if you start putting click events everywhere, then you have to be able to have undo click events, right? Because somebody might click into an area and go, oh, no, that's not where I wanted to go, and now they have to go back, right? So, you know, you want to be able to explore and drill down a little bit and get back, and you know, because sometimes you get down a blind alley and, and that sort of thing. So you can easily overdo it with drillability. Uh, you mentioned how many levels. Um, I think that usually two levels of detail is probably good for each person. Bear in mind, people might be coming in at a different level, right? So somebody might be coming in at a tool at a, at a, that is very, two, le you know, two levels lower initially than somebody else. They would still want to go about two levels lower from where they are as well. That's the, kind, that's the way I sort of think about that. I know that's pretty generic. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, some people are saying these days that why make people drill at all? Can't we use these modern algorithms to do the root cause analysis anyway and just surface that before they have to do anything, any work at all, any right clicking? Have you ever thought of that? Yeah, I, I think that it's possible to do some of that, but but you know, I, I don't I don't think we're sophisticated enough that we're going to be taking the human element out of out of these tools at all, right? You need analysts to analyze. Um, you, you know, you need people to be pointing out important stuff, and they need to find out what's going on. Um, algorithms can help facilitate that. It's I don't think it's we're going to replace that. Um, I mean, let's just think about it. I mean, there's no such thing as a business manager, a business uh, manager in a box. Hey, you know, I don't need a business manager anymore. Now the tool will do the whole thing. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let, let me go on to the next one. Monitor actions. That's a really powerful one. Uh, it, one that presumes that you know what actions to take. I don't know if your tools suggest actions. And then two, someone is remembering those actions or the decisions that are made or the tool remembers them. And three, you come back at a later time and actually review those. I don't think I've ever heard of any organization doing that, so I'm very curious how you do that. 
You know, if, if you go out there and see what your organization is doing, it's, it's surprising how they try to do this process because, because they are trying to do that in some form or fashion. So if all you did was gave them a report, allowed them to drill down, and now they're getting together in meetings, they are looking at that and taking some actions. But how are they doing that? They're probably going out there with a, you know, a SharePoint site that has a list of actions uh, that they're trying to take, and they're manually uh, you know, documenting that kind of a thing. And then trying to get back there and track actions and see who, did you do your action or not? And sometimes, you know, the key was more around, you know, did the action, action, did the action happen that we said we were going to do or not? And the area that, that we tried to focus on is, I mean, that's important, right? Did you take an action, like a pricing action, right? You could say, geez, you know, we're not making enough profit there or whatever. We need to take some pricing action, what have you. The key is, 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 um, is more about the result of that. You know, so, so, you know, if you're looking at, you know, your benchmark or your plan or where you're supposed to be, if you're falling short of it and took actions, the question that, um, really is, did I, did I improve the situation next time? And if not, then you can go down and, and take a look at the, by, by the monitoring, see, oh, we, we took those actions, but they're insufficient, or we failed to take actions um, and try to build that in. It, it is it is not simple to, to thread together all those collaborative tools to make that happen. But this, this is happening in your organization, and the best thing you could do is try to have tools that facilitate that as, as broadly as possible, and we were starting to do that. So I, I take it that the, the t you don't record the actions taken as a result of the insight in the tool or in your reports or dashboards today, but it seems like that's an opportunity to kind of close the last mile of BI, maybe something vendors can help provide. Yep. Uh, then the question is, is the BI tool the best place to do that? Or are there other tools, collaboration tools in the organization where that should be done? Yeah, I mean, the thing is you, you want to, you know, it's like I said, you know, you want to be able to circle back and, you know, let's, let's, let's face it, there's a lot of things that are changing your, I mean, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things out there. It's not just your actions that you're taking. Your competitors are taking actions. There's world events that are taking actions. There's, um, you know, uh, your raw material prices are going up and down. There's all these variables happening all the time. And, you know, when you're in business, you're trying to manage as many variables as possible to come up with the best possible result um, for your organization, right, to be successful. Um, so the key is, is you know, what actions do I have to take? How can I at least take the actions that I think are prudent? Uh, were they effective or not? By looking at the results, including all those other variables that you haven't touched that are that are changing, sort of, you know, the the the, the, the shifting sands under your feet, sort of thing. Um, but you have to, you know, that's the ongoing process, and they do it now. And if you can facilitate that more and make it faster. Um, right, and have good throughput on that. The key is, and, and people can see things ahead of time if you know where you're going to land before, you're, before you actually uh, land. I could, you know, where is the month going to end up, you know, a week before we actually close the month? If we know where the boat is docking, we won't dock in the wrong um, slip. Um, all those kinds of things get people to be uh, much more faster and responsive, and that, that's a competitive advantage that you bring to your organization.
Well, let's drill into accuracy. That's always a big stumbling block for many companies. Uh, either the data in the reports is inaccurate or users just perceive that to be the case. So the, the first question becomes, where do you clean the data in the report, in the ETL, in the, in the source, uh, which is what most people, I guess, would say. Uh, and then how do you deal with those perceptions of cleanliness? Yeah, it's um, th this is something that it, it has to be a cultural thing that you continue to work on. Because first of all, I agree that, that you want to clean the data at the source, right? We don't want to patch it up downstream because somebody might always go back to the source and then refute your number. Um, not always easy to do, um, but um, you know you have to have that. We used to stream data through on daily sales, and if there was a uh, missed transaction, like somebody fat fingered, you know, a receipt transaction, and instead of receiving a thousand pounds, they received a hundred thousand pounds or even a million pounds, then you see this big spike in daily sales for that particular segment. We we didn't try to catch that before it went out. Um, you know, it's, it'd be nice to be able to do that. I mean, we had some things on there that, that would uh, have thresholds, and even transactional systems have thresholds in them, but some of these things slip through. If you let that stream through, it, it gets a real feedback loop really fast back in the organization, and those kinds of things point, you know, uh, point at improvement in certain areas. And that's where real-time reporting can be helpful at the transactional level. Have real-time reporting up on the wall, so that when people are doing something, you could see your result. Um, but that's all part. Of, I mean, that's part of accuracy as well. the The piece about um, uh, about perception of accuracy, I find a very interesting study um, because you know if somebody has taken data offline, there's a data silo that somebody's been using, a spread mart somewhere. Um, and and that is not given the same result as the core system. People re will refute it. Uh, we've seen that plenty of times, especially especially if that other source is giving them a better story. Um, and then what you do is you go into it, and, and what happens is there's all kinds of exceptions that were made in, in those offline. So, oh yeah, well we didn't include that guy because you know that's not really our responsibility. So we just eliminated that bad guy. Um, so you know other people are cleansing the data and. You know, the bottom line for us was that this stuff all has to roll up and get on your your profit and loss and your balance sheet. You know, you can't run away from all the transactions that are happening at some level of the company. So that's an important thing. You can't have all the sum of the parts. Everybody's saying it's great, and then when you roll it up, it's not so great, right? So you know, it becomes cultural on that 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 you know you start you know getting this thing about accuracy and then and checks and get your checks and balances right that they you know in our system when when you looked at it and rolled it up it was the numbers at the top of the house um, you know our commercial reporting tied with our financial reporting all those kinds of things are very important in the accuracy side all right well let's uh, let's move into some more architectural considerations here uh, in terms of timeliness and responsiveness uh, you know, how did you develop a, a real-time architecture to support reports that needed real-time updating? How did you ensure queries would come back in five seconds or less? That those two things, I think, uh, 
require some architectural uh, design to make good, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so we paid a lot of attention to good architectural design in terms of the back end side, um, you know, the cube structures and so forth, and hardware. I mean, and and that's all good, you know, um, you know, summary data, detailed data, that kind of stuff. We also threw big hardware at it. Uh, we were an SAP shop and uh, are using the latest technology with SAP, SAP HANA, uh, in memory stuff, uh, collapsing those various levels of the architecture so you don't have so many layers um, which is good that 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 reduces your latency um, but we were very happy with in memory capability you know um, hard you know you can't beat some of the good hardware uh, advancements it's kind of funny in memory's been around a long time but it's becoming cheaper to get bigger um, you know bigger boxes there that you know uh, that allow you to go after that um, also you know, column columnar uh, data is important, right? I mean, you know, flatten these things out. What we used to call materialized views, um, you know, and 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 various ways of doing this that you can query those that data right away. But most of that was done with the new new um, architectures that are out there. We heavily invested in it, and I'll I'll give a plug there for SAP because because that really uh, paid off for us. It's not a cheap investment, I can tell you that. Um, so you know you might want to start small in that area, but it it worked out for us to get it get us to the point where we were reliably getting the data click speed, and also you get that added benefit, right? So for relevance, you know I'm I'm sorry for uh, timeliness, not just responsiveness. By reducing layers, you don't have that throughput time, and all your batch stream runs a lot better as well. Great. On um, the security side of things, where did you secure the data? Did you do it in the database with row and column level security or the application uh, or something in between or all of those layers? Um, primarily the application layer, um, but there, there are some levels of database layer security that are important to us, um, especially when we have super um, critical requirements on the data. So, you know, you know, people think about certain uh, data that you have in there that might be uh, what we were, what we used to call crown jewels, um, recipe information. So, in the chemical business, uh, recipes are important. You know, how, how do you make something, right? So we have bill material information in the system because we're looking at costs, and when you look at costs, we have the whole cost structure. You know that that makes up finished products, um, and uh, you know the percentages of each. So that's important information. We would secure that, uh, you know, even tighter, not just at the application level. Most of it's at the application level. We have also, um, you know, uh, some legal requirements um, uh, that that get out there. You know, sometimes you have, you know, certain data that you can't have certain countries accessing. Um, out there, so th some of them would get into the database layer that we would employ solutions, but primarily it's at the uh, application level, and and it's important. Um, and and these tools are very capable of securing the data. It's important to strike the right balance with security, of you know what is the right level of security without strangling yourself. They they all the tools allow you to secure the data to the extent that you can completely hang yourself. Um, and it and and you can't administer it either. So it's got to be 
a um, you know have to be able to maintain it. You have to have, it has to be simple enough that people can navigate through it. And if it's not done right, it becomes a source of what people perceive as data inaccuracy, right? If my my level of security is slightly different from yours, the data I'm going to see, the results I'm going to see are going to be different than yours, and that's because of security. And people will interpret that as a, uh, a data quality problem. So, um, you know, that, that's my, um, my advice there. It has to be done. You know, we wish we could be just open, but it can't. And you have to do that and strike the right balance with it. Well, Mike, I think that's a great place to end. We, we covered all eight principles in some detail. I know there's much more that you could provide there. Uh, I do encourage uh, people to contact you if they have additional questions. You can find Mike's uh, contact information up on our website, uh, eckerson.com. Mike, thank you once again for sharing your insights over your illustrious career at Dow Chemical. And hopefully we'll see you back again on this show. Thanks a lot, Wayne. And uh, again, glad to be here. And um, you know, good luck to everybody. And, and I absolutely would be very hap happy to engage other people and, and, and advice and so forth. So thanks very much. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.